The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Today we are in the third week of our series called Begin Again, and what we've been doing in the series is talking about what it looks like to actually have a fresh start in our relationship with God, because although many of us, we naturally think about what it means to have a fresh start, say, in a new job, maybe a fresh start by going to a new school, many times what we actually miss is that maybe what we need most in life is really a a fresh start in our understanding of who God actually is. Maybe what we need most is actually a fresh start with Him, especially for those of us who have actually kind of grown up hearing about God, we've grown up learning the stories about God, but then for us, you know, just because of what's experienced, what we've experienced in the course of our life as being adults, it's not that we just didn't, you know, choose to abandon faith or anything like that. We didn't do that necessarily, but, but it's more like we kind of just left faith in the rearview mirror and kind of went on with, with life. And because of that, a series of gaps opened up, some discrepancies opened up, some questions that we have about what it is that we learned about God and what we thought about God, what we thought we knew, compared to what it is that we actually experienced in life in, in this world. And so for some of us, that's left us kind of, kind of skeptical. Maybe, in fact, that's you today. Maybe you think that church is really good for your spouse. I mean, you think it's really good for your kids, but you're not so sure that God's actually interested in you personally. I mean, you don't really know that God really works in, in your life individually. You're not quite you know, sure about that. And because, see, this really isn't just a you thing. In fact, this is an all of us thing. We actually decided to do this series and talk about what does it mean What does it mean to really begin again when it comes to this whole idea of belief? And so every week we've been kind of talking about what that looks like and we've been asking those questions of what does this actually mean for us individually as adults. And so that means that every single week these messages have kind of been building on each other, which means that if you miss one, if you miss a couple, then you really need to watch and kind of catch up to where we are because each of these pieces kind of build on the other and you really need each of them to see where it is that we're going each week. And so in the very first week, we actually began by asking the question of who. We said the most important question to ask, if you really do want to begin again in your relationship with God, is really the question of who. Who is Jesus? Now, if you're here and you would say that you're not a Christian, then maybe you might think that that's, you know, kind of a, I'm kind of spinning my hand a bit by saying you should ask the question of who if you want to begin in a relationship with God, because maybe you think that's not really a very objective question. You think that, you know, that doesn't, I'm kind of, you know, tipping all the cards at once. And, and if that's you, I would say you're right. I, I am tipping my hand a bit, but not because of what you think necessarily. I, I'm tipping my hand because, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, and, and that is true about me, and so you may think that I'm, I'm biased, but what you might not know is that actually all three of the largest faith traditions, all of them, they all actually ask and answer this very question of who is Jesus? Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, all of them actually ask and weigh in on that very specific question. In fact, I gave to you this week on the back of your outlines a little summary about where each one of those different faith traditions falls, not only on that question, but also on the question of how exactly are people saved. So that is a really important question for all of us to ask. And then last week we talked about the question of why. Why is it that we can't do, why is it that I can't do those things that I know that I I should do? And interestingly enough, all three of those same faith traditions, they all kind of agree on that question as well, that the reason why we can't do what we know it is that we should do is because of this thing called sin. 
that, that we can't chalk up all this insanity to the world that's, that we're a part of and that we see every single day just because of a bunch of mistakes that people make every once in a while. It's actually bigger than that, and it's actually, it's actually worse than that. And so all three, all three of those faith traditions agree on that second question as well. And in fact, all those traditions would agree that there is one single God, that there is one deity who actually created everything that we see. He created all the heavens and all the earth. Now, this is important. Now, they would not agree, however, that they all worship the same God. It's really important that you understand that. The, the people who are actually a part of each one of those faith traditions, none of them would actually say that they worship the same God, that one tradition worships the, the other God as the same God. The only people who actually say that, in fact, are people who are not a part of any of those three traditions. And so that's important for you to understand. But something else that these traditions all agree on is the fact that the very first person that God created was the man by the name of Adam. And in in Judaism, which was actually the oldest of those three traditions, Judaism gets started around 1800 uh, B.C. And in Judaism, Adam is the first man that God creates in the Garden of Eden. Well, meanwhile, in Islam, which is actually the newest, it's actually the youngest of those three traditions. You may not know that. Islam gets started in 600 A.D., so 2,400 years after Judaism, in, in Islam, Adam is known, Muhammad taught that Adam was actually the first Muslim and that he was also the first prophet. Now, in Christianity, we also believe that Adam and Eve were the first people that God created, but we don't believe that just simply because we can read about it in the book of Genesis. We believe that's true because Jesus actually believed that was true. In fact, Matthew is the one who tells us what Jesus believed in Matthew chapter 19 when he says this. He says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator, he made them. He made them, male and female, and said, for this reason the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two, they will actually become one flesh. And so all three, all three major faith traditions actually agree that Adam was a real person who existed and that this thing that we know of called sin, this thing that is responsible for all that's wrong with the world that we are a part of, that it began, it began with this man called Adam. They all agree on that. And, and, and all of us, all of us, all three faith traditions w- would say that, that sin is a real thing and that it affects every single one of us. So hopefully you too, you also believe that sin is real, that sin impacts you, that it impacts the world that you live in, that it impacts everything that we see every single day. Now, let's just kind of set the history aside for a moment, and I want you to think about where we left off last week from God's perspective for just a moment, because I think the truth is, I think the truth is we're all very well aware of how frustrating and how hurtful the consequences and the results of sin are are and sin is from our perspective. But I mean, think about the situation of sin from God's perspective for a moment. I mean, think about looking at this perfect world that you created and looking at this world knowing that every single time another child was born into this world, that the problem and the mess of sin just would get larger and larger. That every time a new person actually uh, became a part of this world, that sin would continue to grow and expand throughout the entire earth, taking it over like like a cancer. Imagine being God and actually watching that unfold. I mean, what would you do if you were God? I mean, what would you do in that situation? How would you, if you were God, how would you actually, how would you begin again? Now, what's interesting, what's interesting 
is that there's one more thing that all three of the faith traditions, all three of the major faith traditions actually agree with, and that's the idea, and that's the belief that God, when he decided to take care of the problem of sin and get involved in the mess of sin, that he began to do that by working with a man by the name of Abraham, that God actually used a man, Abraham, to begin his solution to the problem of sin. Now, Abraham is also where these three faith traditions, where they kind of go off in their own separate direction, because it's with Abraham that Judaism and then later Christianity go in one direction, and Islam, Islam goes off in another direction. But the reason why this actually matters to you, the reason why you care about this, is because it's actually in a conversation that takes place between God and this man Abraham that is recorded for us in the book of Genesis, that, that God actually answers a question that you've probably asked. In fact, it might, in fact it, might be the question, it might be the question that you're actually asking today, which is, does God actually care about me? Does God actually see what's going on in my life personally? Does God actually know what's happening in our world? And is there any way that I can actually know for sure? Can I know personally what it is that God feels and what it is that God thinks about me. Now, before we jump into that text and we kind of look at the answers to those questions, I want to tell you something else about me personally, something besides the fact that I have absolutely no sense of direction whatsoever, which I know you all learned about me last week, but that is the fact that I love, I absolutely love, love, love spicy food. In fact, from my perspective, the hotter, the better. And so because of that, because of that, in my refrigerator, you will always find at least one very large bottle of Frank's Red Hot, not to mention a whole bunch of other types of hot sauce. And it wasn't too long ago that I'm sitting at my, re- at my kitchen table, it was a Saturday morning, and I'm drinking my coffee, working on my laptop, and one of my, one of my teenage boys kind of comes stumbling in from just waking up, and he's you know, ready to eat half the house. And, uh, and so he walks over to the refrigerator, and he kind of grabs hold of the refrigerator door, and he just, you know, yanks it open. And as he yanks it open, I watch from my spot at the kitchen table as this massive bottle of Frank's Red Hot kind of comes flying out of the refrigerator because somebody, somebody left it on the top uh, drawer of the refrigerator door compartment, right? So it's on the outside, flies open, comes flying out, and it lands in the middle of my all-white ceramic tile, which is surrounded by my all-white kitchen cabinets and my all-white appliances. And in one split second, my entire kitchen becomes just an explosion of broken glass and red hot. And so my son, standing there, right, in his pajamas, no shoes, no shirt, right, no socks, nothing, just pajama bottoms, still hand on the door, just kind of looking at me, and he looks at me and says, Dad, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. And so I kind of set my coffee down, and I kind of turn in his direction, and I look at him, and I tell him, I can't believe that you did that. You should be more careful. I mean, I can't believe the mess that you just made. And I was, now, you stand right there, don't move, you stand there until you figure out how it is you're going to get yourself out of this mess that you made. What? Come on, you wouldn't say the same thing? Oh, and by the way, I also told him, I also told him, don't slip and fall and make it worse. And then there'll be blood to clean up on top of all this. Now, see, here, here, here's the thing. Some of you, some of you think that's what God is like. 
you think that every once in a while God kind of looks in on you, kind of sees your world, sees your situation, sees the mess that you've made of things, and he kind of looks at you and says, serves you right. Serves you right. Figure it out. You let me know when you figure out how to get out of this mess that you made because it serves you right. Some of you actually think that about God, don't you? Now, here's the thing. For those of you who do actually think that God is like that every once in a while, at the very same time, you don't believe for a second that I actually said that to my son, do you? You don't believe for a second that I actually told my son to just stand there in the middle of his mess and figure out how to help himself. You don't believe that for a second, do you? And see, so what you also believe, you may not realize it, but what you also believe is that you actually think I'm more compassionate than God is. Which is absolutely, positively not true, especially if you actually know me. That is not true. See, what I really did, what I really did in that situation, is I told my son, don't move, stay right where you are, I'm going to come and get you. And I had to do what anybody has to do when they are confronted with a really big mess. And that's figure out exactly how to start and how to rescue my son from the mess that he was in. And see, that's the very, very same situation that God found himself in as he stared at this earth and he saw the mess that sin had made of humanity and the world that we are all a part of. And imagine being God looking in on what was happening in this world in the midst of sin, grasping a hold of humanity. I mean, we think about the the injustices in our world today. I mean, we have no idea. We can't even imagine the injustice of the ancient world. A world where there's no law. A world where there's absolutely no civilized society. I mean, we can't even comprehend the injustices that took place in a world like that. It makes no sense to our modern mind whatsoever. And yet it was into that world that God chose to enter and begin to clean up the mess that sin had made. And God did that by choosing a man named Abraham. And he didn't scold him. Instead, what he did is he found Abraham and he made to him a series of very unique and very, very specific promises. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 12. When we find Abraham in chapter 12, God says to Abraham, he speaks to Abraham, and he says this in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord has said to Abram, now that he would become, his name would be changed to Abraham a little, in a little while from now, He said to Abraham, leave your country, leave your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. And then God makes a series of of very interesting promises. Now listen, if you are here today and you are skeptical and you are someone who would say you're not quite sure that you really are a follower of Jesus, then I really want you to pay particular attention to these promises that we are going to read in just a moment. Because because I'm not saying that you have to believe these things necessarily, but what I am saying to you is this. If you don't think that God is the one who made these promises to Abraham, then that is going to be a very difficult challenge to actually explain how it is that these promises would end up coming true. Because all of these promises are written down in the year 1440 B.C., 
which is long, long before most of the events of this book ever took place. And so God finds Abraham, and he makes to Abraham these promises. And the first one is this. He says, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. That's verse 2. Now, that's a very interesting promise to make to a guy living in the middle of the desert who has absolutely no children whatsoever. And yet today, here we are, 4,000 years later, and both the nation of Israel as well as every single one of the Arab nations, they all claim Abraham as their father. And so I think it's safe to say that that promise, it actually came true. And then God makes another promise to Abraham, and he says this, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Now, real quick, how many of you have actually heard of Abraham before you came into church today? Raise your hand up high if you've actually heard of Abraham, right? So that would be probably all of us is what it looks like. How many of you have also heard, then, of this guy, King Shulgi? How many of you know about King Shulgi? Raise your hand. You know all about King Shulgi. King Shulgi was actually the king who ruled during Abraham's day. He ruled over the most powerful nation on earth while Abraham was alive, the kingdom of Ur. He was actually king of that nation for more than 50 years, And he ruled over 65,000 people. He ruled over a kingdom that was almost the size of the city of Troy. And so isn't that interesting? Here we are, 4,000 years later, on the other side of the earth. And every single one of us, we know all about this nomad named Abraham. But none of us know anything about great King Shulgi, who actually ruled the most powerful nation on earth during Abraham's day. And so I think it's safe to say that the second promise that God made to Abraham, that promise actually came true as well. And then the very last promise that God makes is at the end of verse 3. And God actually says to Abraham, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Not people like some people, but peoples like all the peoples, right? Like all people groups is what God says. All peoples, Abraham, they're actually going to be blessed through you. That's the promise that God makes. And then and what's interesting, and what's interesting, is that none of these promises really truly came into fulfillment during the course of Abraham's lifetime. In fact, it's a number of years later, it's many, many, many years later after this event occurs that we, we once again bump into Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. And by the time we get to chapter 15 in Genesis, Abraham's actually an old man. He's almost 100 years old. His wife Sarah is almost 90, and nothing has really changed. They still don't have any children, and none of these promises appear to have come true. And Abraham wakes up one day, and he has this realization that everything he's spent his life working for, everything that he's amassed, everything that's going to be the fruit of his labor, so to speak, all that's going to go to one of his servants, because when he dies in the not-too-distant future, he has no heir. And so everything he has is going to be passed on to this person who isn't even a part of his family. And so one night, Abraham begins to pray. And he prays to God, and Abraham prays to God in the same way that we pray to God. He prays out of desperation. And he's praying to God, and he's torn because he wants to believe in what it is that God has said to him. But at the same time, he's confronted by what it is that he sees in the world around him. He sees a world that is broken, and he does not see any of these promises that he believes God made. He doesn't see any of them coming true. And so Abraham starts to do what you and I do when we pray in that kind of a situation. And he begins to remind God of what it is that God said, you know, just in case God forgot. 
And so Abraham is praying and he says to God, God, I, I know you promised to make me into a great nation. Listen, I don't even know what a nation is, but it sounds really big. And, and listen, God, there's just a couple of us out here in the middle of the desert. And, and God, you, you promised to, to make my name great. And, and there's like, there's 12 of us here, God. And, and God, you promised that all peoples on earth would actually be blessed through me. And I don't even have, I don't even have a single, I don't even have a single child. So God, what, what, what is going on here? And then it's in verse 4 that God actually speaks back to Abraham and he says, in verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham and he said, This man, this man will not be your heir, but Abraham, a son coming from your own body, will be your heir. God took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then God said to Abraham, So shall your offspring be. God said to Abraham, listen, Abraham, I know you don't have a son. But Abraham, I am asking you to trust me, and I'm asking you to trust me with something that I know. God says, I know this is very, very difficult for you to actually trust me with. But I am asking you to trust me with this, Abraham, because you are. You're going to become a great nation. Abraham, there will be more descendants that come from you that that could ever even possibly be counted. And then in verse 6, the very next verse, something absolutely amazing happens. Something happens in verse 6 that actually affects you and I today, 4,000 years later, because it's in the very next statement that God, he actually defines the terms of a relationship. What a relationship looks like between him as God and us as people. And keep in mind, this is hundreds and hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments. This is, this is 2,000 years, 2,000 years before Jesus was even born. And for those of you who have kind of had this thought, now you would never say this out loud, so I will, but you've thought this. For those of you who have thought in your life, you know, it seems like God is so mean and angry in the Old Testament, and then it must, he must have like discovered Prozac or something, because all of a sudden he's all about love, right, in the New Testament. If you've ever thought that before, Or worse yet, if you've ever been taught that before. See, this next verse, it actually tells us how untrue, how untrue that whole idea really is. Because in verse 6, we read this, Abraham, he believed the Lord, and he, that's God, God credited to him as righteousness. That Abraham, he actually believed the Lord even when he couldn't see it. Abraham believed the Lord even when he did not understand it. Even when he did not understand what was going on. Even though he could not see God at work, Abraham said, God, I trust you. God, I actually believe you. And it's in this verse, for the very first time in all the scriptures, that the word believe appears... And we can trace that word believe as it moves from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. And God said to Abraham, I am giving to you, Abraham, I am giving to you a a right standing with me, not because of something that you have done, Abraham, but simply because you have believed. And in this moment, Abraham became, as the Apostle Paul would tell us later on in the book of Romans, he actually became the father 
of all who believe. When Abraham placed his trust in God, when Abraham said, listen, God, from my perspective, even though it does not look like you are doing anything, I believe that you are actually going to keep your promise to me. I believe that even though I don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, I believe that you're still God. I believe that you are still good. And I believe that you are still my, my God. And God actually said to Abraham, because you have believed me, because you have trusted me, I am giving to you as a gift, I am giving to you as a gift a right standing with me. You will now be, in my eyes, a righteous person. Not because of what you have done, but simply because You have believed me. And do not miss this. Do not miss this because 4,000 years later, nothing has changed. 4,000 years later, this is still the way to have a relationship with God because God does not change. A relationship with God has never been about stopping a bunch of behaviors and it's never been about starting a bunch of behaviors. That has never been the way to actually have a relationship with God. Having a relationship with God has always been about believing and trusting in Him. That trust in God would result in a right standing with God. And so don't miss this. This is God saying to Abraham, listen, I have made it as easy as I know how to make it. You cannot rescue yourself. You cannot do this yourself. That is why I am doing all of it for you. The only thing I ask is that you would believe me, that you would believe me and that you would trust me. And see, this truth is why 2,000 years later when Jesus finally was born and, and when people would actually say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, what is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to do to do the works that God actually requires of us? Jesus simply responded by saying this, the work of God, the work of God is this, to believe, just to believe in the one that he has sent. It's why later on in John chapter 12, Jesus would say, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he actually sees the one who sent me. And it really is. I mean, it's almost impossible to comprehend, isn't it, that the Most High God would actually make the standard so simple? That the Most High God would actually take and put the bottom rung of the ladder so low? It's almost impossible to comprehend, isn't it? That he would actually just simply say to you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Now, you know what makes this so difficult? You know why it is that for so many of us right now in this moment, because I, I, I can hear it, I can hear the little voice chirping in the air saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but. Do you know why that voice talks to us in this moment? It's because there's absolutely no place in our world where we can actually experience unconditional love and acceptance just simply based on trust, is there? I mean, that didn't happen for you in school, I'm sure. 
I'm certain it didn't happen for you in your job. I'm guessing it didn't happen for you out on the sports field. For some of you, maybe it didn't even happen in marriage. For some of you, maybe it didn't even happen in church. But see, what if? I mean, what if God? What what if God? What if God is just simply different? What if God is really just different than all those other things? What if a relationship with God, what if it really does begin? Or what if it begins again simply by trusting Him? And, And what if God is actually willing What if God is actually willing to give you the faith that you need to trust him in your life right now? What if God is actually willing to give that to you as a gift? And again, I get it. For some of you, it is the simplicity of this whole thing that makes you suspect, isn't it? But if that's you, then let me just ask. So, so if this isn't true, then, then on what basis? On what basis do you think that God would actually find you to be acceptable? If this isn't true? On what? Your behavior? On your nationality? On your ethnicity? On your achievements? What is it? What thing, uh, what thing do you think that God would actually find you acceptable? On what basis? Do you know why from the Old Testament all the way through, all the way through the entire story, do you know why God so desperately wants you to trust him? Do you know why that matters to him? Do you know why that's actually the only thing that matters to God that you trust him? It's because God genuinely wants to have a relationship with you. And you cannot have a relationship with someone who will not trust you, just like you cannot have a relationship with someone that you do not trust trust. Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway actually said this. The best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. Is to trust them. And so beginning or beginning again in a relationship with God, that actually means trusting God to give us something that we cannot give to ourselves. It means trusting that God actually loves us and that he actually loves you. That he actually loves you. And that because he loves you, he sent his son into this world not simply to be a teacher, not simply to be a prophet, but to be a savior. To be your savior. Now, Martin Luther, you might not know this, Martin Luther struggled for years on whether or not he could actually trust God. And when he finally kind of wrestled that to the ground and he finally believed and came to the point where he could say, yes, I do actually trust God, he said this. He said, either sin is with you lying on your shoulders or or it's lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it's lying on your back, then you are lost. But if sin is resting on Christ, then you are free. And you will be saved. Now choose. Choose what you want. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, if this really is true, if all this is true, if your word is true, 
if what we read today is true, if, Father, if it really is true that a right standing with you that actually would come through faith alone, then, Father, our prayer is that you would give us, do what you said you would do. Please give to us what only you can give. Give to us what it is that we need. Give us the faith we need to embrace that truth. Give us the courage to actually ask you, the courage to actually ask you to give us faith so that we can trust you. And Father, for those of us who are here today who wonder, who find ourselves sitting in the mess of our own making, who feel like we are stranded in the middle of a mess that we created, and Father, they're wondering, they're they're here wondering, do you really care? Father, do you really, do you actually, God, do you actually see me? Do you see the situation? Do you see what's happening to me? Father, my prayer is that you would give them the faith they need to know that they can actually ask you for help, that they can call on your name, that even though it is their fault, that you love them enough to rescue them and to enter into the mess that sin has made, not only in their life, but in all of our lives, Father. And Father, I pray that you would take these words that we've read, these words that we've heard, that you would drive the truth of them deep into our hearts and so that every single person here would know the answer is yes. Yes, they can call out to you. Yes, you are the God who loves them. And that as we celebrate communion together in just a few moments, Jesus, that you, you actually said yes, that you willingly took our sin onto yourself and that the only thing you ask for the only thing that you ask of us is that we trust you to carry the burden of our sin that we trust you to be responsible for the sin that we actually committed that's the only thing Jesus that you actually ask of us and so it's in these next few moments that we personally and silently confess our sin to you The good news of the gospel is that your sin, it is on Jesus, that Jesus, he is your Savior, and because of that, you are, you are saved, and you are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.